What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Hard Work Beats Talent, where we aim to draw upon the insights of our inner circle in order to help our listeners make more informed decisions about their career and life through the wisdom and mistakes made by us and our guests throughout their journeys. I'm Nikita, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Alex. What's up, everyone? Uh, and t- on today's episode, we're joined by yet another very special guest and member of our inner circle, Beth. Welcome to the show. Um, so before we, well, as we get into it, do you want to give us a little summary about who you are, where you come from, what you do? Sure. Um, hi, I'm Beth. Um, I was born in a small village in West Sussex. I currently work for Amazon, worked there for about six years, and I am the head of operational excellence working in the Amazon Fresh Stores. And in about two weeks, I am moving companies um, to a Series A startup to become the director of brand management. Um, I studied law and had a big career change. So that's me in a nutshell. Amazing. So I think what we're going to have to do today is probably split in between what you currently do and, and what you see yourself doing going forward to the extent there are big differences. But to start with, could you just give us an overview as to what your current role encompasses? Sure. Um, it's quite wide. Um, so I've done a, probably about six roles in six years in Amazon. Um, <laughs> a variety of commercial roles, largely commercial at the beginning of my career. Then kind of led more into like commercial strategy. And when you, so, sorry to break your flow, but when you say commercial role, like mm-hmm. what did that involve? Just to give our listeners um, like a bit of an idea. Largely driving like a P&L, so profit and loss of a like smaller category or business within Amazon. Um, so I started okay. my career kind of leading the cookware category, for example. So I was responsible for the money we were making, how much my category was growing. And I think I was managing about 10 to 20 million revenue a year. Um, and I was kind of responsible for the outputs of that. So that's kind of what I'd call like a commercial role, like mm-hmm. trading. Yeah, yeah. When, when you say development out- and growth of that sector. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you say output, do you, what do you mean by that? Do you mean ensuring you hit that P&L or do you, is it what you do with that P&L? Like, what does that actually mean? So I'm very naive to all of this. Uh, no, that's totally fine. Um, so I would basically be responsible for hitting our growth targets. So let's say, for example, Amazon wanted the category to grow 40%. Um, maybe it went to double figures of like the industry at the time. So that's kind of Amazon was a very, is a very aggressive growth place. So I was responsible for building that strategy. So how are we actually going to grow? So that means how are we going to get new customers? How are we going to um, compete with our competitors? What marketing are we going to do? How do we get like the best delivery? How do we get the product the best product? But obviously all that costs money. Mm. So the other side of the performance is how do we get all this growth, but also actually make money at the end of the day for Amazon. So there's no point growing an unprofitable business. So the other half of my role was, okay, how do I like launch this amazing strategy for the customers, but actually make sure that on our bottom line, we are reducing costs and we are driving good operational uh, performance so that we are not driving kind of like cost at the bottom line. So is it strategy and implementation then? Yeah. Um, so at different times in my year, I would be the person implementing. And then um, obviously as I went on, I have teams that I'd be like kind of delivering through others mm. and they'd be implementing like the wider strategy. So we would agree, this is what we want to go after. These are kind of our three big bets, for example. And then as I like a whole team, we'd be driving those through. Um, and in most commercial roles, you have 
very regular check-ins. So you're monthly, weekly, uh, quarterly, you'll be checking in, okay, versus our target, are right. we hitting them? Interesting. It sounds like CEO and COO training to me. Like, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, I was lucky very early on to have kind of a big variety of responsibility at yeah. the junior level. Uh, I think Amazon and kind of like the new companies these days really give young talent that opportunity of ownership. Yeah, yeah. Um, it helps you broaden your skills, and right? Massively, yeah. 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 Like, I, I remember being like 22 and being like, sorry, what am I responsible for? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's quite, it's quite interesting you, you say that, actually. Like, I was doing um, one of these, like, pulse, you know, internal surveys for, for my uh, employer uh, just today, actually. And they were, you know, like, the last question is, if you could change one thing, what would it be? And I said, like, give people more the ability to um, make decisions, right? Um, and because people are like genuinely afraid to take any ownership or just like make a call or take a view. And I think on that subject, it's really important because that's where the growth is. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, I think it's really great that much younger organizations are giving young people coming into their careers uh, more accountability and responsibility. No, that's certainly something that currently resonates with me because I've moved from the legal services sector where you're selling a legal service, which you charge time for, to what we do now, which is effectively take risk-based decisions. And there's a it's like a different job entirely, right? And by the sounds of it, you were making calls quite early on. And the learning, I suppose, comes from the fact that you make good calls and you make calls which you might have otherwise uh, made and and yeah you're effectively le having an accelerated growth journey into how to take risk yeah. and how to mitigate it and yeah how to almost wear your decisions because I, like you said i think a lot of people when they do come to have to make a decision finally probably are quite afraid of doing so yeah because they don't want to fail and make a mistake but you need to in order to realize that that's how not how you do something or you can adjust something mm -hmm. in order to improve and that really is responsibility of the business and the team that you're in. Yeah. So like as a leader, you are responsible. You do not get innovation without risk. Mm. So you basically have to create a culture that says risk of failure, there is no such thing as failure because even if you try something and you fail, you learn from what didn't work. Risk of learning. Right? So <laughs> like everything's a data point. So mm, like yeah. you launched this campaign, it didn't work, what did we learn? Okay, this bit didn't work, but actually this bit did, and like that's how you innovate. And if you if you have any kind of fear in your team or your business, then you'll go at such a slower pace because everyone wants to sign off everything mm. to be like cover your back. I don't take any risks. Um, so. so just in that journey of yours, you mentioned you were more on the commercial side, yeah. which we've dived a little bit deeper into. And then where did you move into from there? So then I went on to kind of a special project for Amazon. Um, so I joined that about three and a half years ago. Um, Amazon has these kind of top secret um, projects that obviously they're launching new businesses, new ideas all the time. Um, so I was in a really small team and it was basically like being like an, in a startup mm -hmm. um, within the big world of Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was about six of us and this was trying to launch the Amazon Fresh Stores in the UK. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, that is the tech-driven stores um, with just walkout technology. So there's no checkouts. You just go in. And you I'm yet to try one. I really want to. Yeah, I'm, it that is wild. Can't get my head around how that actually works. <laughs> you do feel like you're stealing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. You're like, are you sure I can just go? <laughs> um, so yeah, I was pretty much tasked to do whatever was required in that 
in that. Can you just bring that to life a bit? What did that look like day to day in terms of the <laughs> responsibilities that you? Yeah, you I mean, this was an amazing <clears throat> opportunity for me. I was super lucky, um, right place, right time. Um, I should have mentioned that I previously worked for Sainsbury's before I moved to Amazon. So I kind of went full cycle and that's how I got into this job. Um, okay, because I yeah. had grocery experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had the kind of Amazonian experience, the e-commerce, the tech experience, and then I brought my grocery experience as well. Yeah. Um, which is a really good example of how like changing careers actually they, they really can <laughs> there can be synergies across mm. the industry you're utilizing skills that you've right. gained in the past yeah. and you're leveraging them essentially it gave well, me right? the edge against hundreds of people that yeah. work in this job yeah. like everyone yeah. wants to be on special projects in Amazon because it's a cool place to be mm. um, but what was I doing on a day to day basis I mean really anything from at the beginning I even went on like a real estate viewing for stores I've never looked at property in my life but there was nobody else awesome um, and we kind of had a mantra in, my, in the team that uh, so for example they asked me to look at should we have an in-store bakery so you know in Sainsbury's you have your croissants and everything like mm, that mm, mm. should we have one that was the answer and yeah. this is obviously going to be like a multi-million pound investment yeah. if we do or we don't so we have to make sure like does the customer want it yeah. and I knew nothing about breaking I said to my manager at the time I've never worked in a bakery in my life <laughs> should have asked Nikki <laughs> <laughs> I mean can you imagine walking in grabbing a croissant and walking out like with no cues that is what you can do that is today. insane because I came that up with a business case <laughs> Um, oh, Beth, we love you for it. We love you for it. That's it. I'm finding my next like, one. And he was like, after you spend one week doing this, you'll know 100% more than everybody else in the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, just go for it. But again, that's that, like, no fear of failure thing. Again, yeah. like, Amazon does really well at and empowers people to just be like, you, you transfer your skills to do something new, apply logic, like, have some risk mitigation, and you can do that. So... I was doing all sorts of things. Um, I was kind of like trying to build our manufacturing supply chain. And, and what does that actually look like ground up in terms of, because yeah, uh, I understand it theoretically, but yeah, what does that look like day to day? Day to day, and I'm really struggling to like, this is my whole job and I never know how to explain it day to day. I think day to day, all I'm trying to do is to drive change. Mm. So the way that you do that is you kind of identify what needs to change. Then you go about building like potential solutions for that change. And then it's about getting the business on board. So all of this is kind of like research, then like idea creation, solution, Brainstorming with like a wider team, working with tech teams, working with business intelligent engineers, with product managers, real like stakeholder engagement. And then you kind of bring all this wisdom together to create this business case to basically say, this is the problem we think we have. This is the solution we think we need. Uh, and this is what we need to be able to implement the solution. You get the business on board. And then the next step is just implementation of that solution. And I think I've been really lucky to have the experience of doing the end to end. So to be able to identify, build, get business support, implement, and mm. then like literally roll it out across the rest of the business. So a lot of that, or in Amazon in particular, is writing a lot of docs. We write a lot of docs in Amazon. That is the Re only, like report right, reports, right, only okay. way we communicate, um, which I think is an actually a really efficient way of working. Um, but I've been there six years, so I'm very Amazon implied. Inefficient <laughs> <laughs> or inefficient? Very efficient. Yeah, okay. Very efficient. Less emails. You've, you've drunk the Kool Aid. Yeah, I have. I have. I have. And, and the reason being is that 
the purpose of the document is that you're meant to be able to write a four-page document and then everyone should be able to leave that meeting signing off multi-million, billion yeah, pound yeah, yeah. investment yeah. just from that four pages. It's like that that kind of saying goes that if you are looking at like an investment, you know, or if you've got an idea, if you, if you explain it to a five-year-old yeah. and if they can't explain it back to you and mm-hmm. it makes sense, then... It's not a good idea or a good investment. You've got some and holes that in your kind argument. Of, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the and principle. this forces you to fill every hole because when you start writing, mm. you're like, oh God, I actually wouldn't be able to answer that question. Mm. So then you have to go back, make sure you can answer that question. Um, so it, it's, it's hard to say what I do on a day-to-day. A lot of calls, work with the US quite a lot. Um, lots of emails, lots of writing uh, but lots of brainstorming with the team like a lot of it is like real like innovation in a room guys what should we do mm. by the sounds of it writing skills are important yeah people skills um hugely what what, what other things organizational by the sounds of it but persuasion i would think yeah influence and persuade is absolutely massive i think definitely if you're trying to implement change all you're really doing is if is influencing and persuading people to adopt new change mm. be it commercial or operational so I was saying that I've always been in commercial roles. In the last two years, I've really moved into like operational excellent, operational design. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I don't know anything about operational excellence or design. I haven't really done it before. Um, and this is about how do we implement processes and operations that allows the business to run more effectively, um, which basically reduces costs and reduces time for people who are like running the business. But really, it was a transferable skill because all that is influence and persuasion. Mm. This is implementing change. It's the yeah. same thing. What's not What's not working? What should the solution be? Yeah. This is on board. Implement it. Adopt it. Report on it. And that's you've been on a few courses. I can see it. <laughs> Love it. And no, it's brilliant. Just while we're on skills and like the role, what do you think would be the differentiator to someone doing your job really well to someone doing it poorly? Like, what do you think makes a star employee? Um, I think um, any role that is trying to impact kind of the wider business, be it that you're, whether your commercial strategy or something that you want to change in the business or launch, um, you need to, I think one, like energy really resonates with like the wider team. So if you come into a meeting with a level of energy, that energy people immediately feel mm. and that really gets them on your side. They get excited about what you're excited about. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that is like the start of how to like, how you'd I would start influencing people, getting people on the side um, and listening to why someone would say no. Yeah. Um, not just saying, I don't agree with you, we're doing what I do. It's actually like, okay, I totally understand what you're saying. How can we mitigate those complaints? So it's a real collaborative effort. Sure. Um, and just out of curiosity, when you come into these rooms, what's like the demographic of people? Because I think this, maybe this is just my like unconscious bias. You know, you, you think of like you walk in and there's like, you know, um, older men maybe like Always. do you know what I mean but it's like <laughs> are we now in a time particularly in a company like Amazon where with like innovation and ideas and it's a bit fresher and not quite so rigid in that that type of culture 
They're surely trying to be. Okay. They are. So still room for improvement. But it does so happen that there are more male versions mm. of the female doing that same role at a senior level. Okay. Because let's say they're like <clears throat> 40 or 50 and say they're in a job role that needs that level of experience. There are exceptions to that, which is tech and business intelligent engineers. They can be 21. Yeah. And <laughs> I will. they're as scary as the 50-year-old 50, <laughs> 50 because <laughs> I need them as much as I need yeah. the 50-year-old to be yeah, on board. Yeah. Um, and they know I need them, so I have yeah. to really persuade those. Um, so demographic can be really different. Um, and, yeah, you are often working with, like, absolute geniuses who really I don't understand their language and they don't care about what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. um, because they, they want to just implement their their product, their new technology, or, like, their new, new automation. So working with them is a really interesting difference. So you have to be a pretty good communicator. Have you had to develop that skill over time or did, do you think it came quite naturally to you? Mm, no, I've definitely had to develop that over time. I think I really benefited from really early on in like school, putting mm-hmm. myself into positions and roles that put me outside my comfort zone to do that. So Such as? If you don't mind me asking. Well, such as like I ran for head girl and you had to do like a whole school election and a whole okay. school speech and like no one wants to do that at school. It's <laughs> so cringy. Um, and the speech was like really like kind of a Barack Obama type speech. Like everyone <laughs> okay. went for it. And your own <laughs> nice. peers were voting for you. So it was kind of like, oh, God. So I did things like that. Um I was always kind of like trying to get involved in like charity organizations and would lead them or lead an event. Like Mm -hmm. it might seem really small now, um, but actually that all adds up to like getting really comfortable to just speaking to like different types of people of different ages um, and like getting them on board with like your vision. Mm -hmm. So I think that really helped. That's great. And I think it's commendable that even at a young age, you lent into like self-development and maybe consciously or unconsciously, whatever the, the driver was at the time, but it's paid dividends because over time it's it's clearly um, held you in good stead. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think out of interest, if you take it back to head girl Beth and where you are today, do you think head girl Beth would have been surprised? Oh, good question. Mm, good question. Do I think she would be surprised? Um, no, I don't think she would. I think she'd be surprised that she's not in law um, because that was definitely like a focus of mine, which definitely really pushed me to do all these extracurricular things because you literally have to, mm. otherwise you have no hope. Yeah. Um, and I was dyslexic, so I was like really up against it. I should never have done law. Really, that was a stupid idea, but we are where we are. We persevered. We got a good grade. Fine. <laughs> um, but... Um, I think I think she'd be proud um, that like I took risks. I've moved around a lot in my career. I've tried to stay authentic. Yeah, I'm happy. But just adaptable as yeah, well. Exactly. Adaptable to change and and resilient. Um, Which is just like so so key. This adaptability yeah. to change. So yeah. many times in my career, things would have things would have <clears> happened to like the whole organisation, and. If I look back now, I so often was on the side of, mm, I don't really know what's going to happen, but this could be this could be a good change. Mm-hmm. And I'd always be around 
people who are like, oh no, I've lost my manager, this is gonna be awful. <laughs> and you just think, why is everyone so negative about yeah. that? But at the time I didn't realize that was actually just a really good attitude to have because I basically made sure that even if the change did negatively impact me in the short term, because I jumped on it, I made it work for me. Mm. Um, so I think it's like having that kind of like positive attitude and saying if you get knocked back, actually there could be a reason for that and it could actually, you yeah. could take two steps forward. And, and where do you think that comes from then, that like positive outlook? And mm. I think it's just a good thing to reflect on because I know from knowing you personally, you, you always do seem to have a positive frame of mind and approach to things. And I think, yeah, like you said, that's fuel that other people don't necessarily have and, and can take you very far. Like, what do you think that that stems from? Uh, I think two places, uh, two fathers. Uh, one, my uh, worldly father, <laughs> my dad. He is very much like me. He started his own business. Well, he actually got made redundant when my sister, my mum was pregnant with my sister, their first child. And he was like, that's fine. I'm going to start it on my own in the shed. And my mum was like, uh, absolutely, no, you're not. You're going to get a job. We're about to have a child. We have no money. <laughs> and my dad was like, no, the shed's fine. <laughs> so it's like your own version of Bezos. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, he didn't quite become Bezos. But um, he maybe arguably still happier. Time. Still time. Yeah, still time. Still time. Um, but... And definitely seeing him, like he's always had so much passion for what he's done. And he's worked so hard at it. And I kind of think he definitely taught me that if you enjoy something, it won't feel like work. Um, and therefore, you, you often can just like keep going. Like, even if they get setbacks, you're like, do you know what? It's okay because I still enjoy it. Um, so, very much him, but also my spiritual father. Um, I'm a Christian. And to me, that gives me such a big purpose outside of my career mm. that. If things go wrong in my career, I'm just like, okay, God's got a plan. Like, we roll. Yeah. There's got to be something good that's coming. Let me try and find it. This is what I'm here to do. So I think that really helps me not get bogged down in, like, day-to-day -day stress. I'm like, guys, it's just work. Like, why is everyone stressed? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I often have to tell myself that, you know. Um, like, work can get stressful. It can. And it can be <laughs> difficult and you, you know, be pulling your hair out or you may have some conflict at work, you know, like professional conflict. Um, but then, you know, there are difficult decisions to be made, but when you kind of sit back for a, a moment and you just think, do you know what? No one is going to die if I make a decision either way. Um, so let's just like bring it back down to earth and, and sure. be a bit more, um, a bit more realistic about the situation. That tends to calm me down, actually. Just be like, okay, actually, it's not that deep. It's not that deep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then for me, I'm like, it's not that deep. And let's start praying because mm. I know who who I can turn to to solve that. And like me and my colleague Amazon would always used to say, well, especially when we were launching our first store, it was like, don't get me wrong, I had sleepless nights. Mm. That is, <laughs> please, I'm, I'm human. Um, but we'd always just say like, all we're doing is moving a can of baked beans around. Like, it's yeah. just a store, we're just selling baked beans. That's it. Yeah. Like, there's don't no overcomplicate need, yeah, there's it almost. no need to kill yourself yeah. if something goes wrong because... Yeah. Like it's life. Yeah. Um, and so what I'd like to do is, so we've, we've kind of covered the first phase of your, I get, well, a part of a phase of your career. Mm -hmm. um, but for our listeners who are listening to this and thinking, this sounds pretty sick. Mm. It sounds really cool. Um, I'd quite like to, you know, be in this kind of like, you know, ch like change management or uh, type of role. Where are they looking? Like, where are they starting 
um, and how do they potentially get into it? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a really good question, and I've been trying to think about this myself. And I I would actually say just let go of a career path that you think is laid out for you. Mm. It doesn't exist. There is not like one size fits all to get into these types of roles. Um, do I think at first it's not very helpful because you're like, cool. So where yeah. do I start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the answer is you can almost start anywhere, but okay. it's about have. It's like about being open to to actually embracing change. And again, that's that is weird that you'd have to embrace change to become a change manager, but mm. it helps. Um, so, for example, like I studied law, I took law, um, I didn't go and get a training contract. Um, when I left uni, I didn't get one, um, despite trying my utmost best, um, which was actually the biggest blessing for me because I applied for one other grad scheme. Um, that was uh, in Sainsbury's for supply chain, and I got it. So I literally applied for, I think, probably 65 training contracts, didn't get a single one. Mm. Applied for one grad scheme, which is still so hard to get on, and got that one. And I was like, okay, God, let's go. And then I think it's... So it sounds a bit surrendered yourself to the outcome. For sure. Surrendered yeah. myself to yeah. it. Um, but in my head, I was like, I'm still going to get a training contract. Like, I'm going to be even more employable now. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so this so was kind of like, this was the um, the backup. Sure. I'm going to take this, get some commercial experience, sure. some corporate experience. Move to London with all my friends. Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. fun. Yeah. And in my head, I was like, that's all I'm doing. It's just a stepping yeah. stone to a training contract. Um, and then I joined and I was like, okay, this is actually really fun. This is quite cool. I... I'm actually quite good at this. Mm. Um, and I was in kind of a, a few different roles. And then I still applied for a training contract. And I and at the same time, Amazon headhunting me. Um, and I'd got to the final round of this shipping law um, law firm mm -hmm. for this training contract. And for anyone who hasn't been for the law journey, getting to the final round of training contract <laughs> is very hard in itself. <laughs> Um, and I had Amazon on the table as well, um, who, who had just gone through those interviews. Um, and I went into this final interview like, oh, I'm finally going to do my dream. And the guy who interviewed me was the biggest beep beep um, <laughs> <laughs> I had ever met. And he just treated me like Really? Shit. I've never felt so belittled and patronized in my life. Mad. And I think if I had come straight out of uni, I would have been like, yes, sir, no, sir, whatever yeah, you yeah, want, yeah. sir. But because I'd had a couple of years working with like some real leaders in their own industry who would treat me with respect and as mm. a peer, and I'm not saying this is the same for all, all law firms, mm -mm -mm. but to me that was like, okay, this is not a culture that I can work in. Yeah. Um, and not all law firms are the same, but this one in particular, I think it was a sign it can leave me. It can leave a bad taste in your mouth, can't it? That, oh. that first experience after you've had like this is your sort of like your passion you've been looking forward to this yeah. and then your experience is you know this donkey um which is a real shame but as yeah. my mum says everything happens for a reason correct um and you know if you have a disappointment just see what's around the corner and then amazon. presumably you took the amazon yeah. job yeah yeah and i can tell i've never applied for a training contract again <laughs> <laughs> i think i think one other important aspect of all of that is knowledge of your own worth at that point in time yeah. like if you'd come out of university yeah you probably would have sure. like been in a very different position and, and may have thought I, I deserve that but like quite frankly no one does and I'm, I'm no. really sorry that you you had to experience that like I and I'm sure Nikki 
I've come across our in my career. It's not pleasant. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's a shame that they do seem to, to creep in, especially in the legal sector at points. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not ideal. And I would say Amazon's gain is the law or legal industry's loss. And yeah, by the sounds of it, you've, you've made um, great strides in, in your own career. And I'm sure you're the one instructing lawyers now as opposed to yeah. taking the instructions. Yeah, I work them all the time, honestly. They're actually <laughs> pain in my ass. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So just before we go into your background a bit, I think it'd be helpful just to understand a bit more about your upcoming role and how that came about um, and, and what you think the future is going to look like. Sure. Yeah. So um, I think if you know anyone who's been in a company outside of a profession, I think, so, you know, obviously, um, if I say when I say professions, I mean like the legal profession, the financial industry they're kind of a bit more of a career path. But when you're outside of those kind of like traditional uh, professions, really, you can almost go in any direction. Um, And often, actually, there's too much choice that you don't make any choice. Mm. Um, I see this time and time again in Amazon, for sure. So I was really conscious that I've been there six years. Um, So from my four-year mark, I was like, no, I need to find my exit. But um, just to make sure that I'm really pushing myself and I'm getting as much experience as I can um, while I can. Um, So I've been looking for the right thing for a while because when you jump from Amazon, you've got to make the right jump. Um, Any company you leave, you don't take the first thing that comes to your door. You jump and you want to make sure that jump is something that's really going to push you um, but also in like an exciting way. So something that you actually want to do don't just follow the money very very tempting um i mean get the money but <laughs> don't just get the bag sis yeah but that that, that comes right it comes we all have to start somewhere and sure. it's a journey it takes time and then with that compounding effect what you'll find is you'll go the, the leaps will be greater the further yeah. down the line you are um so so just be patient it will come sure Exactly. Um, so this opportunity came up um, where I'm about to go now, uh, which is called Heroes. It's a Series A startup. Um, my manager who managed me in Amazon, I've worked with him for about three and a half years. He's an incredible leader, really inspirational, incredibly talented. Um, and we've really just had a really good working relationship. So he was he was leaving to be the CCO of this company. Um, chief. Chief. Information? No. CCO. It's not CCO, Chief Commercial Officer. Okay, Commercial. Chief Commercial Officer. Okay. So uh, there's three co-founders, which are three brothers, um, and he is the first exec, basically. So they're at a stage, they're about 12 months, they've been open now, um, and they're at a stage they need to start bringing in like an executive board and some senior talent to kind of lead them into kind of like a real high growth stage. Mm. They're about to go from probably about 50 employees to like maybe a thousand in the next two, three years. So they're wow. in this big leap. So while, while we're on that, can you explain what a Series A startup is? So a Series A startup basically means they've had their first round of funding from like an external investor. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of startups at the very beginning is kind of family and friend money. Um, so your own personal money or family and friends. Series A is when you've actually engaged with like... Um, you know, like institutional angel type. investors yeah. or and you actually have now a commitment to an investor mm. who, depending on the agreement, owns a percentage share of your business now. Um, and they inject, let's say, I don't know, 20 million with the idea that 
you've got a business case that says in three years it will be 300 million. These mm-hmm. are just fictitious numbers, but mm-hmm. that's kind of what a Series A startup means, which it basically means it has good backing. Okay. Um, and the idea clearly has legs. Yeah. However, it's still a startup and it contains all the risk of a startup, mm-hmm. but less risk than a startup that's like an app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And two people work on it and they've <laughs> got no funding. Um, so, yeah, I'm going in there to be the director of brand management, which I'm basically be responsible for driving the performance of the business. So, what the business does is we buy um, Amazon sellers, successful Amazon sellers, um, and we aggregate them together. So we buy them across the globe, and we are all about kind of building the synergies between the brands, synergies in the supply chain, the marketing, global expansion, um, and getting them into different channels. So they might just be in Amazon right now, we might move them onto Walmart, Target, all these other kind of um, channel expansion. So I'll be responsible for driving that performance. Um, Is it in mainly the mainland US or across the UK, of, Europe as well? We're, we're kind of country agnostic, but we are UK-based country. Um, but we have two offices in Europe as well, one in China um, for our imports. Right, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so if basically if the, if the investment side of our business, which is not me, deem the company to be worth buying, <laughs> we buy it wherever it is. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, so I'll be responsible for driving that performance, but also setting us up to scale. So at the moment, we're obviously doing quite a lot of day-to-day, uh, let's just keep the lights on. Yeah, yeah. Because we've yeah. grown so quickly. Yeah. Now we need to think, okay, actually, in three to four years' time, how do we want to operate this business? Like, what processes do we need? What offshore teams do we need? And when I say offshore... I mean, utilizing kind of teams in um, like faraway countries, so be it in Asia or Eastern Europe, um, to operate some of our like day-to-day tasks for us. Um, so these are all the kind of things that I haven't started yet, but that I need to start thinking about. So, yeah. which is quite overwhelming, but I'm I'm super excited. Sounds great. And. I think that's all super interesting mm. and we might have to get you back on once you're a bit deeper into the role to yeah, hear yeah. more about what that, that actually looks like day to day. But outside of work, do you do anything to kind of like hedge, um, for instance, a circumstance where you might not be working for a period of time like, or are, are all your eggs in the kind of career Corporate basket? World. Um, yeah, really good question. No, they're not. Um, I, I would ideally want to build more and more eggs outside of my career I actually love my career so I'm really lucky that I I enjoy it and um, it doesn't feel like a chore to me Mm -hmm. however um, my real life goal is to make more money invest less time (laughs) uh, if I had to build a graph Um, and the only way to do that is to basically remove myself from the equation um, and to make money that doesn't require my hours to go in so um, my husband's been pretty influential in this, um, <laughs> if not pushy, in the last three years. Um, and COVID was actually, you know, a hard time, but really that gave us some space to really think, what do we want out of our life? Mm-hmm. Like, do we want to be on this rat race where we're just working like nine to five slash nine to eight every mm-hmm. single day? Yeah, yeah. Or do we want to be able to work when we choose to work? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've started a few um, different kind of avenues of uh, revenue. I mean, we've got into crypto. Who hasn't? <laughs> um, we actually decided to not buy our own house, and we bought two houses to uh, as a buy-to-let. 
um, which is going well. We've also invested in a children's nursery. Um, and I personally sell some products on Amazon as well. Sick. So use some of is there are conflicts of interest there? No, they encourage <laughs> Are you going to try buy yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might try and sell. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's wicked. There's there's a lot going on there. And I, I think people will be thinking, oh, my God, like, where do you find the time for all of this? Um, so where do you find the time for all yeah. this? Beth? Yeah. You know, no, how, actually, how does someone with, you know, with your career aspirations and, you know, the stuff you're doing in the corporate world, balance that with, um, you know, your endeavors outside of work, which sound fantastic. And I think <laughs> would be very, you know, inspirational for people to hear about. So it is really hard. And I think I was um, <clears throat> whining to my husband the other day, like, I just have too many things I'm thinking about. I'm thinking <laughs> about this, and then I have to think about this. And obviously, we have like a very busy social life, which I love as well, which you guys partake in. <laughs> um, so I think, how do I do it? So my first kind of realization, probably about three years ago, is that I was applying way more of my talents to Jeff Bezos than I was mm -hmm. in my own life, mm -hmm. um, which did not feel right. Jeff Bezos does not know me, and I know my own life. So I probably <laughs> should be applying some of that talents to my own life. Um, and I say this a lot to like friends and family. You know, in your job, you might make a decision that we need to do X and then you'd have like a whole plan of how you were going to get to X and you're building all these risk mitigations and you'll do that for somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, you do that for your own life. Mm. So we kind of, the first thing I did, we did was to kind of make a lot of time to be work out what do we want to do and then how are we going to do it? Yeah. And I think that was an important time for us to take because then we said, okay, but we also still both work full time. So mm. how are we going to do all these other things? And a lot of that is really, really looking at like where where do you add value and where don't you? So like where can you outsource things? Where can you stop doing things? Um, and when I mean stop doing things, stop doing things you don't enjoy, mm -hmm. um, but carry on doing. That doesn't mean like stop seeing your friends. That's not the kind of sacrifice that I would be personally willing to make. Mm -hmm. um, I think you really, that's super super important. I think how I try and do it, we've definitely invested in like help. Um, so we kind of got a financial advisor and these are, and, and you know, other services. Mm -hmm. These are all things that I initially was like, I can do it myself. And then you realize, <laughs> no, Beth, you cannot do it as efficiently yourself as somebody yeah, else. Yeah. Spend the money. Yes, it might affect your profit margin, but actually at the end of the day... In the short term. In the short term. But long term, yeah. Long term, we're trying to build this portfolio of streams, mm, mm, mm. and that's the important part yeah. today. I think, um, so Naval Ravikant talks about, in his, well, in the almanac of Naval Ravikant, amazing book, um, and he's at some point has said that you should set an aspirational hourly target um, rate. So even if you're not, you should say, how much is my time worth every hour? And if it's, two thousand pounds an hour and that's what you think it's going to be when you get to where you want to get to then certain things won't make sense for you to do and you've almost got to back yourself that you're going to get there and you spend the money say if it's i don't know on an activity that might take mm. an hour um yeah. in the knowledge that actually that thing might cost you 20 pounds but it's saving you 1980 pounds mm -hmm. um but yeah i think that's a really it, it's a, requires a mature outlook it requires you to be quite disciplined with yourself by the sounds yeah. of things and um by the sounds of it, though, it's, it's paid dividends and will continue to do so. Literally. Literally. It's hard work. But you yeah. learn so much from it. So even yeah. if all of them failed, 
again, like it's this fear of failure thing. So when I was doing this Amazon selling thing, even if that fails, what I've learned about launching a business on Amazon, I can now apply to this new role that I'm mm. about to go yeah, into. Yeah. That's literally the businesses we buy. Yeah. So even if that wasn't working, it's paid itself back just from what I've learned. And that's kind of a bit different outlook of, oh, but what if it doesn't work? What if I lose all my money? Okay, well, what if you just do it? Yeah, and you lose it. all your money yeah, anyway. Yeah. And obviously, only invest what you can. Don't yeah. be stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much information out there now, right? Like, you watch these reels and it's on Instagram or whatever, TikTok. Or, yeah. And it's just like, how to become a millionaire mm. selling Amazon products. And it's like, okay, look, I'm sure some people have been hugely successful doing it. So it's not impossible, no. but you've got to take the time to learn. And when you actually start doing it, as I'm sure you've discovered, mm. um, and I haven't done it myself, I'm just speculating, but it's the like, you have to understand the supply chain marketing how to even get your products on amazon in their warehouse delivered like <laughs> find the right product price it correctly like there's so many aspects to this whole journey that it's not just like oh yeah i got alibaba and i'll just buy products and sell it you know it's a process but you learn so much so yeah. even if you just go right i'm gonna buy one product 100 quid and just like learn the process and that's as much you know, as it will cost you yeah just to learn it yeah and you could literally buy one product from alibaba it will cost you a hundred pounds because shipping mm. is at least a hundred pounds you could sell two items on amazon and you'd learn enough yeah. doing that selling two million and it's invaluable i guess in your new role that you're going into because no one can really say oh what do you know about selling products on amazon true very true <laughs> yeah god definitely had a plan there I, I started this six months before i got off of the job so I think like you summed it up really well there, Nikki, and thanks for sharing it with us, Beth. Um, I, I think this is probably one for our, some of our older listeners, maybe, who have yeah. their own income. But what stands out to me is the question of if you do, quote unquote, fail in terms of losing money, where does it actually leave you? If you're not losing your home, if you're still in employed work, if you don't have any dependents and you're not taking those sorts of risks, I'm not saying you should always take risks. You should obviously do what you're comfortable with, but... Mm. It's getting, I've certainly gone through my own journey on it, getting to that point where you realise the worst thing that can happen is I get up and go to work the next day and collect my salary at the end of the month. and life Which again, continues. there's nothing wrong with, no. right? It just depends on what outcomes you want and what you're looking for out of life. Like mm. you, you've mentioned that you've sat down with your husband and you've, you've assessed your lives and your future and you've decided what you want to do and then how you're going to get there. And this is just a part of that cog. In, and it doesn't mean I actually want to run my own business. And this is kind of a transition that I'm going through. Because I feel like we're definitely in this era where if you're not an entrepreneur, you don't own your own business. Why are you even living? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I actually, what are you doing? And I'm, I, I do not agree with like that line that yeah. is being pushed right now. Be your own boss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. I am my own boss. Mm. Yes, I work for somebody else for sure. But like they cannot tell me to do something I'm not happy mm. about doing. Yeah. Because I'm off. And like, you've got equity in the business and kind of work for yourself. So you're like, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's one of those things, like these revenue streams are more for me to kind of have this disposable income to make the choice. I mm. might choose to work for someone for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And if I'm enjoying that and I'm getting fulfillment from that and I can sleep at night, and that that is underrated. Um, <laughs> hugely. Hugely underrated. Hugely underrated. That I haven't taken so much risk that I can actually sleep like a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then... I'll stay in the career if yeah. 
if my Amazon selling takes off and I need to make a decision, then we'll make a decision. But it's, um, yeah, I'm definitely not sitting here just saying, create these revenue streams, then leave your job. And, and just to stress as well that in order to to do that, to, to you know, create those those streams, it takes knowledge and time a lot of time actually because not not just to learn but you know you need capital as well mm-hmm. it depends on where you're starting and what your goals and out you know desired outcomes um are but it takes time you know if if you're looking to in- invest in let's say even like a buy to let property um you need to do your research on areas the fundamentals of those areas you know what it actually takes to manage uh, buy to let because it's not all hands off in in all cases or many cases, um, and you actually have to have a pot of money to be able to go out and buy it. So it takes time, patience, saving, dis- you know, discipline, um, but it's pos- it is possible. Yeah. So you know, and just on your kind of role, I, I think the only other thing I'd like to like just delve into a little bit before we go into your background is any positions of responsibility that are non-paying that you also manage to fit into what seems like a ridiculous schedule? <laughs> yes, um, I'm, I'm actually my own worst enemy when it comes to <laughs> filling my time. I'm also on the board of, uh, of a school, I'm a school governor. The one that you were head girl at? The one that I was head girl at. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, um, yeah, so I've been on this board for about two years now. Um, so it's a complete voluntary role, non-paid. Um, my role there is um, to basically advise on the entire school strategy, where they spend their money, um, challenge them on um, kind of policy and to have performance at Ofsted. So I kind of got into this out of a program um, which is called Diversity on the Board, mm-hmm. um, which I, I can massively, massively see the need in having joined. Mm. Um, so I joined and I am one of six governors, um, all of which are retired white men. And then there's me and then a female clerk who takes notes. So <laughs> How traditional. <laughs> How traditional. Um, and this is a really big 2000 pupil uh, state school mm-hmm. with an international boarding house. So it's incredibly diverse. Mm. We have all sorts of different backgrounds that are attending the school. So for me, I was super passionate, one, about giving back to a school that was just like so fantastic for me. I met my husband there. I learned so many life lessons. Um, I was really, really, really fortunate to go to such a good state school. Um, so I wanted to give back, but also there's loads of different things that I've actually got from being on this board that I didn't initially intend on the benefits. But for me, like selfishly, it's actually been great. So for example, for example, I actually now know roughly how to be how to be sitting on a board, yeah, which yeah, yeah. I would love to do for maybe some big businesses in the future. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a skill in itself, yeah. um, and I've met some really amazing um, people who also sit on the board who you know are much older than me. They've kind of maybe they've like bought and sold businesses they've all worked in different fields so it's really broadened my network mm-hmm. um and i've been able to kind of give back and um which has been you know invaluable so it's been a great position but it's it's a lot to do <laughs> no it sounds fantastic and i think for any 
you know, women listening, it's, I think it's an inspiration myself. It's inspirational to me. And men, but, and men. And well, and, I'm, and men, I just want to emphasize that, you know, that there is still that like stereotype and culture that it's, you know, well, it is really difficult for women, but um, I think you're a great example of um, what can be achieved, you know. Um, you should write a book on how to take a sledgehammer to the glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and just on the theme of of the school that, that you are governor at and, and went to, um, we like to give our listeners a bit of a the benefit of your personal life and, and journey um, you know, coming coming through and, and what you've learned, some of your key influences. So can you give us a bit of a overview of your upbringing, your parents' backgrounds, um, sort of the socioeconomic, you know, situation you grew up in, things like that? Sure. Um, I mean, I might have put a sled plug into the glass ceiling, but not so much that I had an amazing upbringing. So um, I had a very good start to life. So I will not um, take any credit for that. I was super privileged um, to be in the kind of family household that I was in. So weren't like super wealthy, um, nothing like that, but was very much brought up in a really loving nuclear home um, in a really small village in West Sussex. So um, I didn't have much exposure to kind of mm. like big business and things like that. So I, I don't think that was really what I was surrounded by. But um, as I mentioned earlier, my dad was, um, my dad is like a really good human is how I would say. Um, and I've seen how much his goodness has rewarded him in his, in his business, just like continuing to be like a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, often they say like everyone steps on the good guy. And I'm sure that is true if you want to be a billionaire, but if you don't want to be a billionaire, you just want to be a good guy and be successful. People like working with good people. Yeah. Um, and he works so hard. Um, so, and my mum worked for him as well. So I've been, I was brought up with my mum and my dad. My mum obviously with, behind every great man is a great woman and honestly you cannot even say that is my mum by definition she kept us all alive and worked full time with my dad as well Mm. supporting all the office bits my dad can't even write an email so like (laughs) it just gives you a perspective of what my dad was doing what my mum was doing for my dad um so he's an engineer um and like between them you know they've been amazing role models of being able to be kind of like great parents to me and my sister and like and really good people to like our whole village like mm. I always see when we kind of when you're around the village like everyone is just always coming around my mum and dad's house for nice. like any support or anything and like they have time for everybody um, the heart and soul of the village yeah well they I mean kind of it's a bit <laughs> it's, it's a bit sad but both my grandparents were also born in that village, so they, and they were both married there. And my mum and dad met. Where did in they meet? School, primary school. Primary school. And your parents? Primary school. Yeah, the yeah, same yeah. primary school. And where did you meet your husband? <laughs> Not primary school. Not primary okay? school. Oh, Secondary school. Secondary school when I was fifteen. Yeah. The graduation. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> love um, it. Love it. So yeah, I mean, it was a it was a fast paced household but um nothing more full of love and like good lessons of you know be good to other people work hard um it's very much what they were modeled and they worked collaboratively as a team mm. so i think for me that was like been an was an amazing start to life and that i feel like that security enabled me to it gave me a foundation to take risks off because yeah. you know really how far could i fall 
yeah, yeah. You know, if that's your base, which is like two parents who like love and support you and, and would welcome you back with open arms, I mean, how fortunate can you be? It's not yeah. alive, and I, you know, I'm grateful for that every day. So really, it was for me to jump and take risks because they'd given yeah. me that platform, platform to be able to do that. I think you you mentioned it, Alex, um, one time. Um, you mentioned this concept of everyone having a different floor. Ground zero. Different ground zero, yeah. Do you want to maybe just touch on that a little no, bit? I, I think Beth summed it up really well there. And I think it's it's important to acknowledge that, that I know very similarly, like absolute worst case scenario, I lose my license, I lose my job. There's a room that mm. my parents will find a room in, in their house for me. And like that is... That's worth more than any money I could ever be given. So encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And and on top of that, and what I'm getting from you, and I'm sure you get, which is, I think, real body armor as adults, is mm. no doubt your parents are proud of you. So it's like, whatever you do now or choose to do, like it made my career change all the easier because my, like my dad says it, he's like, I'm proud of you, son, every time I speak to him. And I know that that is worth so much mm -hmm. and I, I don't take it for granted at all and um, undoubtedly having that like really solid relationship with your parents yeah if anything it's a springboard to, to pushing on in life and trying things yeah and I think just to just to briefly touch on that <clears throat> not everyone is as fortunate as as we are and, and their ground zero is you know lower than ours um but we like we know where our parents started right um and me personally, you know, we came to this country, my parents came, brought us with them with nothing, like borrowed money, like they, they, they had no grounds, like they were the ground zero, do you know what I mean? Like they had nothing to fall back on and no one. So, and, but they, they, what they did was allowed us to, to you. exactly like yeah. they raised that floor, you know, to, to, to levels that it's, it's like insane. Mm -hmm. And so like they were able to do it with nothing. So I want that to be encouragement for people that you can still have that low floor as we, we're referring to it, but you can make it. And, you know, you just like listen to the things that we're talking about and just take away something, you know, and listen to the people that we're speaking to as well and where they came from, what they've achieved through hard work and um, persistence. Um, um, yeah, so I, I just think that's important to mention. So I think we're coming towards the end time-wise, but we like to ask a few just like final questions and I'll start and kick it off with, are there any particular books that have been influential to you um, in terms of your journey to date that you would recommend to listeners, maybe our age and younger? Um, I think anyone's going to be surprised if I say the Bible. Um, <laughs> I mean, to me... Um, that there is nothing that I can't learn um, from the Bible. And like I said before, I know our subject is the is your career, but in life, I feel like as, as humans, we're here to find purpose and we're here to have perspective. And if you have those kind of two Ps, everything else is a lot easier to deal with because you understand what you're here to do and you have perspective on things and you don't have and you know if something bad happens you don't crumble down to zero because you have this big foundation behind you and, and for me it's absolutely what like my faith and the bible has given to me um and you know I, I would make a claim that you cannot get those two p's from your career um but those two p's can absolutely make you successful in your career 
Um, so I think definitely it might not be the Bible for you, but definitely look for some outside purpose or perspective that is important to you. And I wouldn't tie that all into your career because your career can go wrong. Mm. So you're putting too much Or the economy pressure. can. Or the or, con- it doesn't matter yeah. what it is. It's completely outside your control. And putting all of your like reliance on something that's outside your control is is not a good idea because mm. you know it could just happen and you're just being going to be crushed so the bible for me um the second one i would say then um was probably the four hour working week tim ferris yes um, mentioned before it has been bio, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah i'm sure uh, it's one of those um really I mean, I don't do it. I don't work four hours a week just to give everyone a percent. <laughs> 400 hour work. I'm here, yeah. like, yeah. cruising. As long as I yeah. Amazon, I definitely work more than four hours a week. <laughs> you, you got what you paid for, don't worry. <laughs> um, but what it did to me, I think I read it really early on, um, and it's not too boring because I'm not actually a huge nonfiction reader. Um, I know everyone you're meant to be. I try my best. I read five a year. That's There's amazing. nothing you're meant to be, um, you know? Um, Sounds like you're doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe I'm learning through life. As a <laughs> but I think all it does is it shows you a different way of living. Um, and that's kind of where I had my graph earlier, like make more money that does not have reliance on my time. Um, and that actually might mean making less money. Mm. But if I make less money, but I have no time input, yeah. I've made money. Because yeah, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. value you're, you're building in your own life to have that freedom of choice is kind of invaluable. So Time is our most precious asset. Sure. It is. The one thing you can spend and, and then not get any back of. Exactly. Absolutely. Right, that guys. Uh, <laughs> well, I think Alex, Alex is is in the process of doing that, so we'll share some news with you at some point, I'm sure. Um, and uh, just another question: um, What would be the best piece of advice that you've learned to date that you would give your 18 year old version self, the 18 year old version of yourself? Of yourself. Uh, good question. Um... I think I personally would tell my 18-year-old self to just drop the life plan. Um, I think there's a real tendency, especially at a young age, to ha- set yourself this life plan ahead of you that mm. says, you must, case, must, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm yeah, going to get yeah. married at this point, then I'm going to have children, and then I have... You're not old enough or wise enough to make that decision. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not old enough and wise enough now to have a life plan. And, you know, I'm going on 30 and I've been married for four years and I've had three careers. Uh, I still cannot sit here and make a life plan because you don't have control over that plan. I think often sometimes when you make something so detailed and it goes doesn't go exactly as in each step, you think you're failing. And what you, you can really blind yourself to the opportunities that you're actually are in front of you because you're just so fixated on this one plan that you created. And I think that for me was with this whole like law training contact piece, I was really blinded by this life plan. Um, and I think instead, obviously have a plan, but the plan should more be a guide, what do, a guide which is like mm. in 10 years time, what do I want my life to be like? To look, yeah, to look like. Not even yeah, look yeah. like, yeah. be like. Okay. Because look is still a, is still visual. Okay. Feeling. A like feeling, that. yeah. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. How, do, how do I want it to be like? I want to be happy, fulfilled. 
I want to have built a life with someone. I want to have a group of good friends. I want to be financially secure. And these kind of things can be actually the aspiration. And mm. you just work back. There's so many ways you can you can get all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Working, yeah. working back is so important, I think, as well. Once you get some semblance of idea of what it is that you would like, mm -hmm. um, work backwards because then you can actually maybe start to discover what it is you need to do to you know begin that journey yeah but as beth said with not too much rigidity but a bit more fluidity <laughs> exactly. yeah exactly uh, and that's why it's good to have uh, a monthly plan and a yearly plan and then look further into the future but don't be so rigid and and sort of tough on yourself as well but achieving that way if, if your plan changes you know that's why you have short shorter term goals as well and so. I, just uh, on that I think it's important to be open and I'll, I'll share that I've definitely fallen victim to being super rigid with a plan even this year to be honest it's something I've had to like kind of check myself on because you can achieve a lot and feel like you're not achieving anything because you set ridiculous goals and I think um, yeah it's something I'm learning um, I don't think anyone's got the secret sauce necessarily but yeah I, I, I think that's a really wise point which I'm really pleased you brought up because I know I've not always got that right and it's yeah something that can really crush you in life when there's no need for it to yeah and I think it definitely it can blind you from everything that's, that's amazing in your life because you just fixate on this like one part of your plan that didn't work but actually if you just take a step to be like actually okay this didn't work in this year's plan but what did I achieve this year? And you're like, mm. oh, God, I've had an amazing year. Like I have yeah. had some amazing memories and experiences that and I've learned loads about yeah, myself yeah. and other people. Sometimes and, you have to look yeah. back to look forward as well. For sure. And so. I think sometimes these rigid plans, and it don't, I, don't get me wrong, have a vision, like definitely have a vision, but also be like super okay if that vision changes like on a weekly basis. Mm. Because I know, I'm in the world of change, but the more you're like, cool, that's changed. Let's be resilient. Let's move with it. Let's be adaptable. Um, you can kind of make it work for you. Amazing. All I can, can we, say um, on final comments mm. is wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Shout out. That was amazing. And I'm, amazing. I'm really, really thankful for you coming on today, Beth. It's been really illuminating, super insightful. And I think there'll be a lot for a lot of our listeners to take away. And even Huge just amount. us. Even yeah. just us. Yeah, we're, we're learning how to lay eggs and put them in different baskets. 100%. Do you know what I mean? Um, Yes, yeah, thank you so much, Beth, for coming on. I think you're an inspirational woman. Um, and um, yeah, so much to take away for, for our listeners. So um, yeah, can't wait to get this one out. Great. It's been amazing speaking to you both. Thanks, Beth. Um, so yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening uh, and or watching, however you're viewing or listening to this. Um, you know, we've, we had a really great conversation and uh, look forward to, to getting our next guest on. Um, so yeah, please give us a like, share, comment, subscribe. Uh, we're on all the platforms, uh, Instagram, YouTube, um, Spotify, you know, wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, the handle is at Hard Work Beats Talent Podcast. Um, and if you've got any questions or have any stories to share, drop us a DM and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks,